Good morning. How are we? Good. Is anyone feeling drowsy like the bridesmaids in the story? Yeah, it's a bit like that. My five-year-old decided this morning that he wanted to get up around 5 a.m. and uh, <laughs> make enough noise to wake everyone else in the house up, which is very exciting. Um, but uh, yes, it is one of those things. I think we can get tired. I don't know about you, but this has been one of those years where uh, we can get tired. And we can get tired of waiting. Um, we can be impatient and want the marshmallow. <laughs> but that doesn't have much to do with what I'm talking about this morning. Well, maybe a little bit. So in our series uh, so far, we've been exploring how to make God possible for people. God possible. That's our, mas- our mission as Christian people. Our mission is the church. And knowing that this is not solely our responsibility or our doing, we have a role to play, but God is the one who does the true work in people's hearts and lives. It's God's spirit who calls each person. And so we're talking about evangelism in our series. We're talking about sharing our faith. So today's passage may seem a little bit out of place. What could bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom have to do with sharing our faith? Isn't this a passage about the second coming of Jesus? Well, yeah, it is. It's a passage about the second coming of Jesus. In this parable, the bridesmaids are warned, as the disciples are warned, to not be complacent about the kingdom of God, to not be complacent about Jesus' coming again, that they need to be prepared for when he does come. All of chapter 4, and this is chapter 25, sorry, chapter 24, and this is chapter 25 we're looking at today, is about signs of when the second coming will appear. Discussions about the end of the age and the things that will precipitate it. Jesus even gives examples in chapter 24 of watchfulness. He talks about Noah and the great flood and the need to be faithful and ready before we get to our passage today. How then do I do justice? How do we do justice to this passage today knowing that this is the main meaning of it? It's about the second coming of Jesus. After pondering it this week, I think the answer became clear to me And it's a question. The question is, am I ready? Am I ready for Jesus to come back right now? To appear? Come through the clouds as it says he will? Am I ready if that were to happen this morning? It's a strange thought, isn't it? I don't know if you've had it before. Am I ready? If Jesus were returned today or tomorrow, would I be ready? Are those around me ready should that happen? And we don't know what it's going to look like. We really don't. The Bible doesn't give us anything super clear what this will look exactly like. We're given a lot of different parables and pictures in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, and all sorts of things, but we don't know for sure. But I think by asking this question, we can realize that our time on earth is not something that we have huge control over. And I know this has been a year where that's been pretty prevalent to us. And I don't mean to be scary or to in any way make people feel fearful by saying this, but by no means is our time on earth guaranteed. By no means do the moments we have with our friends and our families now, is that something that we can guarantee will happen? Tomorrow, the day after, the week after, the year after? We hope and pray it is. We don't know when the second coming of Christ will be. We should not be fearful of it, though. We should rejoice. We should be excited for when it happens, all of the things that are terrible in this world now will be done and dusted. 
They will be dealt with in a complete way. Suffering, pain, injustice, sorrow, heartache, grief will end. He will wipe away the tear from every eye, the Bible says. And this is a wonderful and beautiful thing. We shouldn't be afraid of Jesus coming again. But it does mean that when that happens, life will be different. And let's be honest, this year has been different. But it will be different in a whole new way. Reality itself will will look different. So I come to this question again. Am I ready? And as a part of that, Are you ready? Are you ready? Will those you care most deeply about know the message of the gospel when that time comes? Using the story today, the parable today, will my lamp be filled with oil? Will I be ready and prepared? Will those I know and love have their lamps filled with oil? Will they be prepared? This should bring us to the reality that life is short. And we have a responsibility to share the message of the gospel now. When we look at the text before us today, it's important to know that there are a few things that are really standing out. It's a wedding. Well, it's about a wedding, sort of. Bridesmaids and a groom. And Jewish wedding and Jewish custom is slightly different to our weddings of today. But there are some things that are very much the same. Some things are very, very much the same. So they still had some of the things that we have today, such as a wedding ring or a token, a marriage contract, bridesmaids, as we can see in the parable, a groom and a bride. But one significant difference between a wedding in the first century, around the time of Jesus, different to the weddings today, is that they had this idea of a wedding banquet. We do this in a small way. We have our wedding receptions or lunches. But they had a wedding banquet. And between the wedding banquet and the ceremony that had happened earlier, there was a space, a space of time where the bride and groom would be separated and the bridesmaids would go with the bride and there would be this break, this time, this separation. The groom would then come and escort the bride and the wedding party to the banquet. If the groom had funds and was rich enough, they might arrive in a more extravagant manner, maybe in like a carriage, like Disney-style, This is not the type of carriage it would be. A Jewish carriage would not look like this. (laughs) But we have been framed by our uh, our Disney Disney friends and other movie makers to think of carriages in this way, in a wedding or a love story. And many of us would have seen the idea of a carriage in a modern wedding look slightly different in the way of a wedding car, you know, a specific wedding car for the bride. Uh, This was my wedding car in the picture. It was a Chrysler 300S for any car lovers in the room. It was very nice, it was very white, pretty. Um, I wanted to keep it. I wasn't allowed to keep it. I also had hair in this photo. I wanted to keep that too. (laughs) I didn't get to keep that. But the important part in this photo actually isn't the car. The important part in this photo is my wife. It's the bride for me. Oh, that's sweet. I actually didn't ask her if I could share this photo today, and so she doesn't know, and she's watching this over in Lakeview at the moment, and so she should be surprised to see the photo. (laughs) Um, But um, she's the most important part of this photo for me. Us together is very important there. Because this is a snapshot for me of the commitment that I had just made. We hadn't quite made it to our wedding banquet, our reception just yet, 
we'd made our vows and we were kind of on the way. The wedding had already happened. The, the contract had been signed. I was there, I'd done it. 14 years this year, we've done okay. All right, we've done 14 years. There's, there's others in the room who definitely have done better than that, but we've done okay. But I, I signed the contract, I locked myself in, in a good way. And we were on the way to the wedding banquet, to our reception. But not just the wedding banquet, we were on the way to our life beyond the wedding. What was to come after, the next great part of the journey, as will be the coming of Christ for us, the next great part of the journey. And that life that we would live together would ideally include all of those people that we would invite to our wedding banquet, to our reception. Generally, those that are invited to such things are the closest to the bride and the groom. And they continue to have an ongoing part in their lives. And in Jewish first century marriages, this was the whole town <laughs> who would have a role in their lives. Later, as things continued, time doesn't just stop. It keeps going. What is interesting with this parable, though, is that Jesus never mentions the bride. He never mentions the bride in the story, just the bridesmaids. Even though it's very clear that the bride is there and involved. This is the process that they would go through. The bride was there. This seems deliberate from Jesus because he's emphasizing the responsibility that the bridesmaids had. That the bridesmaids had. That the bride would be looked after. Her oil, her needs would have been looked after by the bridesmaids. That was their job. See, if you've ever been in a wedding party, it's your job to make sure the bride or the groom is looked after. And I've had the privilege of being a best man three times now. Um, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how I got that opportunity, but I have been a best man three times. And um, I've learned that there are some very important things that the best man has to do. I can't be a bridesmaid, I'm sorry, but I could be a best man. And there was three items that were required of me as a best man, three particular items. I call them the holy trinity, the holy trinity of items required of a best man, and they were these. Okay? Mints. Definitely needed mints, okay? There's quite a bit of kissing that goes on after the ceremony. Your mints are required. The best man has to have the mints for the groom, okay? There's tissues. Um, if the guy breaks down at the front of the church, you know, the, the best man has to have the tissues and be ready. And of course, the rings. The rings, very important. If you, uh, I don't know how many times I've seen the joke played, but oh, I've forgotten them at the front, almost every wedding. <laughs> These are the most important items that a best man is required to have. The importance shouldn't be downplayed, specifically of the rings. If any of those items are not there, a lot can go wrong. A lot can go wrong. In our passage today, we find something that the bridesmaids needed in order to perform their role correctly. They needed oil. They needed oil for their lamps. Wedding days are rough. They are tiring. They are big days for people. Everyone wants to take a nap. And in our story, both the wise and the foolish bridesmaids fell asleep. This is what happened. Maybe you're feeling drowsy right now and wanting to have a nap. Resist. Don't do it. Get to the end of the sermon. In the parable, the groom took longer than expected to arrive, and the bridesmaids fell asleep. Those that were prepared had brought flasks of oil in case. 
just in case it took longer than expected, so that they could take the oil in their flask and refill the lamp as needed. This takes foresight, preparation, consideration, and care. They had the required item, and I like to think that they were looking after the bride specifically in this. Those bridesmaids that came prepared had been thinking about not just themselves, but about other people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They weren't just thinking about themselves. They were wise, not foolish. So, they were looking after the bride. They were invested in the bride. I dare say they were invested in the life of the bride beyond that day. The kingdom that would exist for her and her husband in their married life. They would go on to live a life together, the bride and the groom, with their wedding party as well. This action labelled the bridesmaids wise rather than foolish. They saw what was needed and prepared. So what am I saying this passage can teach us about sharing our faith then? What can it teach us? Well, I think it's, it's actually really quite simple. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. And it's not just a scouts thing. We need to be prepared to share our faith. We need to have the right items. A few weeks ago, I talked about how we all really need one simple thing to share our faith, and that's our own testimony, our own story of faith, how we came to believe and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the one thing we need. It really, really is. But there are some other items, I believe, that we can have, physical and not physical, that can prepare us to share our faith. And I think that these items are something that if we think for a little bit, we, we realize are quite obvious as tools to share the message of Jesus. One of those items is a Bible. Whether it is a physical Bible or a digital Bible, a phone or some sort of device Bible, the Bible is our source of faith. It's our source of understanding, of the knowledge of what Jesus has done for us. It is our guide, it is our book for life. We are people of the book historically. It tells of what God has done for us, what God did for all humanity. The story, the great story from the beginning through the children of Israel to us. Having a Bible close at hand and possibly scriptures specifically that we know and love and know well can be very useful tools, very useful items when sharing our faith with others. Being able to open it with somebody and say, have you ever read this? Have you ever seen this? We don't have to have all the answers, but the Bible can, in fact, answer in ways that we cannot. And I know some Christians who have gotten to the habit of carrying, say, for instance, a Bible around with them, whether it be a teeny little Gideon's Bible of some sort, that they can give away if somebody is interested. Or I know I have a little card in my wallet that has a QR code with a free Bible from the App Store. So, say, for instance, if I have the opportunity and somebody is interested and I start talking about faith, I can give them this little card that gives them a free Bible that they can install on their phone or whatever. These tools can be very useful in being prepared to share our faith. If we don't prepare, we likely won't share. 
Secondly, and this is not a physical item, but it is a very important item, there is, of course, prayer. We can pray that God will help us, that his Holy Spirit will guide us to share and give us the words to speak. We can pray in advance that God will provide an opportunity for us to share our faith with our friends, our family, our loved ones. It's scary, but we're coming close to Christmas. Can you believe it? Close to Christmas? Oh, gosh. And that's, the, in my opinion, the best time of year for us to share our faith. I mean, Jesus is in the title. Christmas. It comes up with so many people in our world. We can pray for the opportunity to share. The last of the three items that I'm going to encourage us that we need is also not a physical item, and it's a little bit cheesy, so please forgive me. Uh, And if you've ever seen a movie or a TV show with this in it, you might have a flashback to that at the moment. But I I think that there is a very important item that we can have in our repertoire to help us to share our faith, and it's this. Carpe diem, seize the day. When the opportunity comes lovingly and with care and not wanting to argue with somebody, but actually genuinely share the faith. When the opportunity comes, take it. Seize the day. Seize the opportunity. Share your story. You don't have to have all the answers. Tell of how your faith has made a difference in your life and encourage them to learn more. Maybe give them a Bible. Maybe... I know, I know that, that might sound a bit daunting, but all you need is your story to share and seize that opportunity. Our time on earth is limited. Our time on earth is limited. Uh, last weekend, a teacher friend of mine, a friend I, I taught with for a number of years in a Christian school, um, passed away suddenly, unexpectedly. He's only a few years older than I. He was only a few years older than I. Um, so it, it wasn't something that they knew was going to come. And he was a Christian man, and I have no doubt that I will see him in eternity. But this week, as I've talked to friends who knew him, and um, I've seen the response of the family and and, um, stuff online, I've been struck, and and his family had been struck and, and commented about how short life can be, how you don't, you don't know Uh, what's going to happen next. And that shouldn't make us afraid. That shouldn't make us fearful. That should make us hopeful and excited about what we can do with the time that we have. But reflecting on that this week, it has made me think about whether what I do is wise or foolish. What I do with my time is wise or foolish. And what I built my life upon, is it wise or is it foolish? And I was struck with another parable that we see in the book of Matthew, back in chapter 7. So it's quite a jump back from where we are today, chapter 25. But it talks about the wise and foolish builder. What you build your life upon. Will it be strong and secure? Will it be the gospel of Jesus Christ or will it be something else? Will we be wise or foolish with what we build our lives upon? Will we be wise or foolish with our preparedness for all manner of things, not just sharing the gospel? Will we be wise? Will we be hearers and doers of the word? 
or just hearers only. Today, let us be wise. Let us be like the wise bridesmaids, not the foolish ones. Let's be prepared with the right items to share the gospel with others. In Jesus' name, amen.